Hi, and welcome to the latest podcast from the Lancet Respiratory Medicine. My name's Priya, and today we're discussing a study on the relation between blood eosinophil counts and asthma-related outcomes, first published on October the 20th, 2015, and in the November issue. We're joined by the lead author, Professor David Price. Welcome. Thank you. So first, please tell us why you decided to study the use of blood eosinophils as a predictor of future disease severity when sputum eosinophils have already been shown to be an accurate marker for this. Yes, whilst blood eosinophils are available to most people and have been associated with sputum eosinophils, nobody had really truly evaluated in a large cohort whether they were strongly predictive of outcomes in asthma. Sputum eosinophils, whilst a very um, an excellent tool, have the major limitation that they're only available in a limited number of centers and also can vary quite dramatically from reading to reading. So whilst bloody eosinophils may, may lose a little bit of accuracy, they are available to every um, practicing clinician any, almost anywhere in the world. So that was the rationale for it. Also to be aware, I think, that most of the studies done looking at sputum eosinophils and even bloody eosinophils have been done in relatively small populations highly characterized patients and often not representative of the broad population of people managed with asthma in community settings. I mean, in addition to that, I think it's important that we're aware that predicting future risk is a key requirement for us in practice. We're always trying to find out who's going to be the patient who needs more care. And actually having some simple tools that may predict that is very valuable. Well, could you briefly summarize the design of the study and your findings? The design was um, based on using routine data that's available from two um, high-quality electronic databases built on electronic health records in the United Kingdom. So we were lucky to have access to two databases, one called CPRD, the Clinical Practice Research Database, which contains anonymous data from electronic health records in a very large population of over 5 million patients an optimum patient care research database which links electronic health records with some patient questionnaire data. That is a slightly smaller database, approximately about two and a half million patients. And so we use these databases to extract recorded respiratory events and other key relevant information from asthma patients around the time of their last recorded bloody eosinophil count. So what we did is we characterized patients in the year before that bloody eosinophil count and looking at confounders there and taking their bloody eosinophil into account, we looked at predicting what the outcomes were in the subsequent year. We took a threshold um, initially of 400 cells per microliter as uh, as been at the um, the upper limit of normal for for UK clinical practice, so we regarded those as raised versus normal bloody eosinophil counts, um, which were less than that. We included male and female patients from 12 to 80 years old with an asthma diagnosis and no code for um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or any other chronic respiratory disease. And we found using that cut point of four that around 16% of patients with asthma had higher eosinophil counts. And this was associated with a 42% higher rate of severe asthma exacerbations and a 28% higher rate of acute respiratory events, which was either use of oral steroids, hospitalization, or any other acute respiratory event, including needing antibiotics for respiratory infections. In terms of a definition of asthma control, um, the higher was also associated with a 35% percent 
lower odds of acid control. What's exciting, I think, is our database drew on data from 130,000 asthma patients. So this also provided us with a unique ability to look at a dose response um, between the bloody eosinophil count and the risk of exacerbations. And what we found was the higher the bloody eosinophil count, the higher the risk of exacerbations was. For example, patients with levels between 4 and 500 only have a 16% higher rate of severe exacerbations than patients with a level below the median of 200. But patients with levels between 900 and 1,000 have a 100% higher rate. Another important finding I think that might interest the listeners, we have patient questionnaire data for about 10% of our study populations. So for these patients, we were able to look at uh, um, asthma control status as defined by the Global Initiative for Asthma, uh, which is indicative of their daily symptoms. And we also found that high blood eosinophil counts were more strongly associated with risk of exacerbations than with the frequency of daily symptoms, although it did predict daily symptoms. But what it really showed was that the bloody eosinophil count was more predictive than symptoms alone in predicting risk. So one of the things I think when people are assessing patients with asthma is enough to assess current symptom control as a marker of how someone's going to be doing in the future. So it really is important to look at other predictors of risk. And what were these studies' limitations? In terms of the studies' limitations, observational studies can only really show association but not causation. So we cannot assume that having a raised bloody eosinophil count causes increased exacerbations. It's really an associative biomarker, if you like. In addition, we were only utilizing one bloody eosinophil count per patient. So we we weren't, um, in this analysis, looking at all bloody eosinophil counts. And there is some variation in the bloody eosinophil count. In addition, we are restricted to available data. So, for instance, we may not know why the blood count was done. So maybe the patient was sick, although we did do them at steady state. We didn't have pack years of smoking. So we know they were smokers, ex-smokers, or non-smokers for the vast majority of patients. And for the majority of patients, our marker of asthma control in terms of symptom load was based on their reliever use. So a number of limitations that come from using a database. In addition, I think that some of the other important questions that people will be thinking about was whether there was an association with the effect or treatment adherence. As most of these patients were on um, inhaled asthma therapy, and particularly those with exacerbations would have all had inhaled steroids prescribed, we can't fully estimate what they would have looked like in terms of um, their bloody eosinophil count and their risk if they'd not been treated. Because treatment with corticosteroids may have actually minimized the association. So what we found is strong, but maybe it would have been even stronger if they were not on therapy. Clearly unethical in real life to take people off their therapy in a database. But we certainly do know from other literature that patients with bloody eosinophilia are more responsive to inhaled corticosteroids. At least there's been association shown in COPD, and in fact, a recent paper actually in Lancet Respiratory Medicine. In addition, there may be the possibility of some selection bias. Um, not everybody has a bloody eosinophil count done routinely as part of their asthma management. Hopefully, after this piece of work, many people will think about doing that. We actually have bloody eosinophil counts only for, available for about, um, about 55% of the patients. 
And certainly those who did not have a bloody eosinophil count tended to be a bit milder and have less comorbidities, which is not a surprise. Older patients with more illnesses are more likely to have a full blood count undertaken. And of course, we can't rule out the fact that patients with eosinophilia are more likely to have a full blood count done. I guess those are some of the limitations. I think most of them would suggest that any signal we found may actually be a little bit stronger rather than, uh, rather than weaker, though. What do you feel this study adds to the literature? Well, I think this is by far the largest study population, by, over a, by a factor of over 40 times, of patients with physician-diagnosed asthma examined in the study of blood eosinophilia. We see 130,000 patients, whereas the largest prior study included fewer than 3,000. Our data strongly suggests that patients with asthma and higher blood eosinophil counts are potentially at risk of future exacerbations regardless of their daily symptoms. Our study clearly shows a dose-response relationship between blood eosinophil counts and exacerbation risks. And this also shows that not only the presence or absence of eosinophilia, but also the absolute count is relevant to evaluate the risk of exacerbations in general practice. In other words, it's not is your, me, sorry, is your bloody eosinophil count high, it's what is the absolute number. So the higher it is, the more relevant. Based on the results of your study and others, in what situations would doctors choose to use blood eosinophil levels as opposed to sputum, to help to manage their patient's asthma? I think bloody eosinophil counts are, are really going to be valuable for the breadth of doctors managing patients with asthma. I think our findings suggest there may be an advantage in incorporating full blood counts as part of the routine assessment in clinical practice for patients with asthma. And I think particularly before initiating inhaled steroids, and particularly when we've got somebody who seems to have uncontrolled disease, it may be very helpful as whether they have the eosinophilic disease, which really is going to respond to inhaled steroids, or if it's not responding to inhaled corticosteroid therapy, may be suitable for biologic therapy. So it may suggest they should be referred to specialist assessment. I think in addition, we found independent predictors of a raised blood eosinophil count, including the younger age and being male, not the usual patients who would have a full blood count. And I think that probably suggests to us again it probably should be done for the majority of patients with asthma at least once. Other factors, risk factors for raised eosinophil counts were more expected, namely comorbid eczema, nasal polyps, allergic as well as non-allergic asthma, and having one or more severe exacerbations in the baseline. So I think in summary, our findings suggest that patients seen in primary care with asthma and bloody eosinophilia are potentially increased risk regardless of current symptoms and should be counseled and monitored accordingly. Clinically, I think the use of bloody eosinophilia as a biomarker for future exacerbations or poor control might actually enable identification of patients who could benefit from higher doses of inhaled corticosteroids or even biologic therapy regimes. And finally, what questions still remain in this area and where do you feel future research should be focused? So I think there's a number of key questions that remain. One is, to what extent a raised blood eosinophil count is a marker of poor adherence or poor inhaler technique with inhaled in somebody who has uncontrolled disease? And I think it's really important that we try and disentangle 
that and to see how much it can be improved by improving their adherence or inhaler technique. It's a marker, but we're not quite sure which of those should be referred at this point in time. And I think there is a need for more thorough assessment of such a patient. I guess another key question, which I'm, I, and I'm, a lot of people have been asking me this, is bloody a stable characteristic. In other words, would it be the same next time we measure it? Certainly there is clearly going to be some variation. But I think it's important that we look at patterns over time to evaluate whether, whether, it, uh, whether it does vary and maybe what the impact of two or three raised bloody acidophil counts are versus one that's raised. We've only looked in the relatively short term, in the one year after a bloody acidophil count, and it would be very interesting to know whether that's more phenotype. In other words, people who have raised bloody acidophils once, are they always at increased risk of exacerbations? I think they probably are, but we would need to prove it. Another is, what is the effect of therapies, including oral steroids and inhaled steroids on bloody acidophil counts in patients with asthma? In other words, is it a biomarker of actually whether you're taking in inhaled steroids or taking adequate inhaled steroids in the way that maybe exhaled nitric oxide is complementary to that? I think that's a very important question, how those two tie together. And then I think the other final point is, and I think this is probably almost a million-dollar question, so is if we can lower eosinophil counts with therapy, um, whether, and, that, and I'm thinking principally about simple therapies like ICS or more sophisticated like biologics, will this reduce the associated greater risk of future exacerbations? That seems to be the case for biologics, the case also for standard anti-inflammatory asthma therapies such as inhaled corticosteroids. Thank you, Professor Price, and thank you, listeners. See you again next time.